Welcome back for another episode of Errant Adventures, the solo actual play podcast where stories are told at the speed of dice. With me, Steve Morrison, your game master and solo player. Now come on, let's grab the dice and see where our story goes. Welcome back to Errant Adventures. As always, I'm your game master and solo player, Steve Morrison. And I just wanted to welcome you back to season three of the show as we are returning to Ironsworn, Starforged, and the Tarquin verse, as I have dubbed it, my version of the Forge that began in season one. This story is not going to continue directly the story of Lucius Tarquin, but instead we're going to focus on a different character and a different set of circumstances in the forge. And for that reason, I wanted to take a quick moment and do this little session zero to go through the truths again, as it has been a little while. And I decided in between season one and this season that I liked some of the truths and some of the truths didn't seem to fit based on the way that the story developed. And so I have changed some things around as far as the truths go. So I wanted to reiterate what the truths are and then just quickly talk through the sector and some of the factions that are going to be at play in this season. Let us go through the truths of the forge of the Tarquinverse as it stands right now. The Cataclysm. We fled the ravages of a catastrophic war. Over millennia, we consumed resources and shattered lives as we fueled the engines of industry, expansion, and war. In the end, a powerful foe took advantage of our rivalries in a violent bid for power. Fleeing the devastation, we assembled our fleets and traveled to the forge. A new home. A fresh start. In this final war, we were set upon by genetically engineered soldiers. The Exodus. Mysterious alien gates provided instantaneous one-way passage to the forge. In the midst of the cataclysm, our ancestors found a strange metal pillar on our own homeworld's moon. A map on the surface of this alien relic detailed the deep space locations of the Iron Gates, massive devices which powered artificial wormholes. With no other options, the Exodus ships fled through the gates and emerged here in the forge. Communities Dangers abound, but there is safety in numbers. Many ships and settlements are united under the banner of one of the Founder Clans. We have a tentative foothold in this galaxy. Each of the five Founder Clans honor the name and legacy of a leader who guided their people in the chaotic time after the Exodus. Vast reaches of the settled domains are claimed by the clans, and territorial skirmishes are common. We got to see two of the Founder Clans in the last season, with the Tarquins and the Idabren, uh, who, through their military force of the Ironhawks, were chasing down Lucius Tarquin. And maybe in this season, we'll get to see others of the Founder Clans. Iron. The Iron Sworn bind their honor to iron blades. Aboard a starship where a stray gunfire can destroy fragile equipment or pierce hulls, the brutal practicality of a sword makes for a useful weapon. A few also favor the silent efficiency of a blade for infiltration or espionage. Most importantly, when the Iron Sworn swear a vow upon a sword, they bind their commitment to the metal. 
if they forsake a vow, that iron must be abandoned. To be iron-sworn without a blade is to be disgraced. Laws. Much of the settled domain are a lawless frontier. Criminal factions and corrupt leaders often hold sway. Powers rise and fall in the forge, so any authority is fleeting. In the end, we must fend for ourselves. A few communities are bastions of successful autonomy, but many are corrupted or preyed upon by petty despots, criminals, and raiders. Religion. Our gods failed us. We left them behind. The exodus was a tipping point. The gods offered no help to the billions who died in the cataclysm. And spirituality has little meaning in the forge. Most now see religion as a useless relic of our past. But the search for meaning continues, and many are all too willing to follow a charismatic leader who claims to offer a better way. Magic. Supernatural powers are wielded by those rare people we call paragons. While not magic in the truest sense, the abilities of the paragons are as close to magic as we can conjure. These powers are born of ancient knowledge held by secretive orders. Communication and data. Information is life. We rely on a guild of space-born couriers, the Heralds, to transport messages and data across the vast distances between settlements. Direct communication and transmissions beyond the near space of a ship or outpost is impossible due to the chaotic energies of the Forge. Digital archives are available at larger outposts, but the information is not always up-to-date or reliable. Therefore, the most important communications and discoveries are carried by the Heralds, sworn to see that data to its destination. Medicine The Menders are an order of sworn healers who preserve our medical knowledge and train new generations of caregivers. Advanced care is usually available only within the larger settlements, but even remote communities are often served by a novice mender. Some menders are travelers who offer preventative care and respond to emergencies in isolated communities. Artificial intelligence. The vestiges of advanced machine intelligence are coveted and wielded by those in power. Much of our AI technology was lost in the exodus. What remains is under the control of powerful organizations and people. It is often wielded as a weapon or deterrent. The rest of us must make do with primitive systems. War. War never ends. Talented weaponsmiths and shipwrights craft deadly high-tech tools of destruction. Dominant factions wield mighty fleets and battle-hardened troops. Those in power have access to weapons of horrific destructive potential. Skirmishes and wars flare across the settled domains, and most are pawns or casualties in these destructive campaigns. Lifeforms. Many sites and planets are infested by dreadful forge spawn. These aberrant creatures threaten to overrun other life in the galaxy. The Forge Spawn are hostile creatures born of the chaotic energies of this galaxy. Hundreds of abandoned or devastated outposts and derelict ships stand as a testament to their dreadful power and cunning. Precursors The Ascendancy, an advanced spacefaring empire, once ruled the entirety of the Forge. Vaults of inscrutable purpose are all that remain to mark the Ascendancy's legacy, but those places are untethered from our own reality. Ascendancy vaults can appear spontaneously, washed up like flotsam in the tides of time. Their gravity and atmospheres pay no heed to natural laws. Some are corrupted and ruined. Others are unmarred and intact. 
Some are both at once. They are chaos. Horrors. Most insist that horrors aren't real. Spacers know the truth. When you travel the depths of the forge, be wary. Some say we are cursed by those who did not survive the cataclysm, and the veil between life and death is forever weakened. Supernatural occurrences and entities are especially common near a white dwarf star. These stellar objects, which spacers call ghost lights, are the decaying remnants of a dead star. Those are the truths that we will be playing with here in Season 3 as we are moving into a new sector, and that sector is called Veiled Rest. And it is in the Terminus region, which the Terminus is the central region of the Forge. It is where humanity arrived from their home galaxy. Settlements are common here. Factions compete for resources, and spaceborne caravans follow charted paths among the stars. But the Forge is a vast galaxy. Even here, there are still unknown and isolated domains. So, whereas Season 1 took place in the Outlands, which was a little bit more of an unruly area, the Terminus is, I think, closer under the control of the Founder Clans. And so there are many factions that vie for control in these sectors. And currently, there are two factions that have been revealed in this sector as we begin this season. And the ruling faction over this sector is the Phantoms of the Azure Court. And I think they are probably attached to one of the Founder Clans, but whether or not they are sort of a major power within one of the Founder Clans or whether they are a separate organization that has alliances with the Founder Clans, I don't know yet. And I'm going to leave that open for us to discover as we go through this season. So the things that we need to know about the Phantoms of the Azure Court are that they are a dominion, that their leadership is a fated or prophesied leader, their influence is isolated, which I think means that their influence does not expand beyond the sector of veiled rest. Their sphere is isolationism, secrecy, and wealth. So once again, they don't necessarily want to expand beyond the bounds of veiled rest, but they are very much a power here. Their projects are to transport a valued asset and remove dominion, which I think means that there is some other dominion that is trying to make inroads in this sector that they are trying to remove. And we don't know what that is yet. Quirks, they resolve disputes through formal duels. And then rumors, leaders are puppets of another power or faction. This is why I said that I think they're connected to one of the Founder Clans, even if they are a separate organization. And then the other rumor is over-dependence on a failing or vulnerable technology. So hopefully we will discover more about that as we get into this season. The other faction, which is going to come into play more in Episode 1, is the Radiant Council. They are a fringe group. Their influence is established. 
Their sphere is scavengers. Their project is to escape control of another faction or power. And there are rumors that they are trying to seize survival. And as far as the character that I'll be playing in this season, I'm only going to tell you a little bit about her. She is named Alexis Wolf, and she has an edge of two, a heart of one, an iron of three, a shadow of one, and a wits of two. Her starship is called the Dead Reckoning, and she has an overseer asset that is called Valkyrie. This is an AI module that keeps watch over the vehicle systems and sensor data. She is also a mender. When you give medical care to heal yourself or another character, add plus one. If you're treating someone other than yourself, take plus one spirit or plus one momentum on a hit. So she is a mender. She has a starship and an AI companion. And she has one other asset that I'm not going to tell you right now. We'll discover that as the season progresses. But she is a woman in her maybe mid-30s who has been traveling the forge for a year or so as a mender, trying to do some good in this strange, desperate cluster of stars. We are joining Wolf in the middle of an Iron Vow. And so I will give you now a little bit of background on the start of that vow. It's not necessary for understanding what's going on. So if you want to skip this part and just jump right into episode one, you'll pick up where the action starts. Uh, If so, I will see you in episode one. But for those of you who want to get a little bit more background on where things are starting off, here we go. Alexis Wolf arrives on Skoroko, a space station, over the jungle planet Iris. She has heard they are having trouble with volatile energy sources that are making people sick. She's arrived to investigate. Fortunately, she has a contact on this station, whose name is Raven Kai. Wolf visits this contact, a pilot who she has chartered with before when passing through the system, to get a little bit of a lay of the land and see if there's anything she can do to help. Leadership on Skoroko Station is ineffectual at best, so as usual, they're not doing much. She does some investigating, and we determine that the nature of the volatile energy sources is some sort of advanced life form. To Wolf's horror, she learns from Raven that scientists from the Radiant Council have been kidnapping creatures from Iris and experimenting on them for their potential as a power source. Wolf swears an iron vow to find the Radiant Council research facilities and free those creatures. Raven warns that the Radiant Council is not to be trifled with, and that if Wolf intends to go after them, she can do it without Raven's help. There's no way Raven is sacrificing their position on the station for this fool's errand. Wolf understands their concern, but there's no way she's not going to try and free those creatures, both for their sakes as well as for the stationers who are growing ill. Wolf leaves Raven's office and heads out into the station. She's going to ask around about the Radiant Council. Based on her conversations with people in the local station bars, she learns that members of the Radiant Council have been seen around the Skoroko Memorial Fountain 
in the main concourse of the station. One person she talked to even heard them talking about the blessed waters of the fountain. Curious about this, she heads to the concourse to see the fountain for herself. It's a large flowing edifice with water transported from the surface of the jungle world iris and passed through filtration. It gives off a faint hum as the water circulates through an intricately designed display representing the station's orbit around the planet. As she's there, Wolf notices a pair of individuals in bright white lab coats standing by the fountain engaged in conversation. She makes her way toward them and attempts to quietly eavesdrop. She manages to get in close enough to overhear what they're talking about, but it takes her a little longer to get into position, so she misses the first part of their conversation. They're discussing the experiments and reports of illness in the surrounding stationers. One of the researchers is concerned that they might be causing the sickness in stationers, considering the unusually high levels of energy output the creatures have been generating, especially since a number of researchers have been mysteriously reassigned within the last week. The other researcher dismisses the concerns and suggests they conclude their walk and return to the lab. Wolf follows them as they make their way around the fountain toward a bank of lifts. She moves to follow them surreptitiously, not wanting to lose the opportunity to trail them to their labs. As they're approaching the bank of lifts, one of the doors opens and two armed individuals in similarly brilliant white coats steps off and their eyes lock directly on Wolf. Their hands rest on their weapons and they ask her why she's following their colleagues. Wolf says, What are you talking about? I'm just heading to the lifts. They accept her lie and relax, removing their hands from their weapons, apologizing for the confusion. They then collect the two researchers and shuffle them into the lift, while Wolf makes a show of waiting for another lift to arrive at a different part of the terminal. Once the lift doors close, she hurries over and watches the indicator to see where the lift stops. Level 6. She has a much better idea of where the lab is located now, and she can continue her investigation. That is where episode one will pick up, so I will leave it off there as we have introduced the truths, we've introduced the sector and some of the factions and the character, and so I hope you will join me in episode one as we get into season three of Errant Adventures. Thanks for listening to Errant Adventures, and thanks so much to Sirenscape for the lovely ambient sounds and music throughout the episode. If you enjoyed the show, please spread the word. And if you want to support the show directly, leave me a review or buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash errantadventures. If you want to interact with me, I'm at errantsolopod on Twitter and Instagram, or you can email me at errantsolopod at gmail.com. I also post campaign-related materials on my website, errantadventurespod.com. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next time.